banned, but they've gone. That's okay. That was in the plan. No, 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 we'll move, we'll move. We're going to worship a bit later on, as planned. Sorry, I was going to change the plan there, but you're there. We're going to um, read from the Bible together. And as we kick off this uh, new series in a Revelation, um, I'm just going to pick a scripture um, from chapter 4 of Revelation. And I want you to, because uh, the word throne will appear uh, quite a few times in our um, session this morning. So as we read this passage of scripture, just be mindful of the word throne, okay? So if you want to follow it in your own Bibles, if you've brought them or if you're on your phone or device, it's Revelation chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to 11. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounded the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, And who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Did you hear throne again once, twice, three, four, eleven? I'll have to go back and check that. Let's just pray together. Lord, as we embark on this series um, over the next few weeks, we thank you for um, open doors. We thank you for Ron particularly and the work that he does. And we pray that as we uh, hear him speak to us over these coming weeks, you'll bless us and encourage our hearts and challenge us too. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to set the scene before we hear from Ron, the book of Revelation brings the New Testament uh, to a close, and it ends with that most powerful and wonderful promise of Jesus, I am coming soon. So if you've ever read through the whole Bible, what a way to end. As you get to the last book of the Bible, Jesus says, I am coming soon. To which John, 
on behalf of the whole church, past and present, says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And we do too. John, disciple of Jesus, who wrote the gospel, who wrote those letters, receives his vision as an older man. Exiled onto the Greek island of Patmos by the Romans. And as he writes, the church, the early church, stands at a moment of crisis. There is extreme persecution from without. The Roman emperors of the day have sought to exterminate the church of Jesus Christ. There are battles within with false teachers arriving, false teaching going on, false prophets All the other early apostles have been killed. Thousands of ordinary believers are being martyred, as John writes. In wave after wave after persecution that has not stopped, and in fact we know is worse now than even then. Some were used as human torches to floodlight Nero's gardens, others as fodder for the lions in the arena games. As I said earlier, the church was also facing challenges from within, of immorality, corruption. And in this context, as John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, lifting his eyes to heaven, he receives this incredible vision from God. A revelation, an unveiling. And it's a book that focuses on That fact that trumps all other facts, that God is on the throne. Nero and Domitian and the other emperors that reigned, reign from thrones, but above all else there is a throne in heaven and God is sat upon it. That is the overwhelming theme of the book of Revelation. As my friend Simon Ponsonby wrote a book, The Lamb Wins, if you've never read it. Please do. It's a brilliant book about the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation, as you know, is a very visual book and for good reasons. It's full of symbols and imagery and beasts and dragons and plagues and horsemen and weird numbers. Because it's an underground book. It's underground literature. It's forbidden literature. It's subversive literature. If intercepted by the state authorities, they wouldn't have a clue what it was about. But those who heard it for the very first time knew exactly what it was about. And we as God's church know exactly what it's about. Those first readers would have known that they were surrounded by the boastful images and symbols of empire demanding their worship. That Caesar is Lord and there is no other. Tyrants who called themselves gods, but who were not. God is on the throne. Empire demanding their worship. In John's day, it was the Roman Empire. Grand eagles placed above the temple. When they destroyed the temple, massive statues to its so-called gods were erected. Pagan temples were erected. And in his revelation, John receives this alternative visual message. Those boastful images will fall before the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. And what he provides for us, if we have the time to look and read and understand, is an alternative imagination that we can glow with the vision that God is on the throne, always was, always will be. The Greek word thronos is used 15 times in the New Testament outside of Revelation. It talks about the kingdom of God. But in this book, it's used in 17 of its 22 chapters. And why I chose that particular chapter, it's got the most mentions of the word throne. It's used 47 times in the book of Revelation. God is on the throne. And God will prevail. Many of us are aware of a popular TV series based on a book by George R. R. Martin called A Song of Ice and Fire. Anyone aware of that one? Game of Thrones, anyone ever heard of that? Story of a game of control over the seven kingdoms of Westernos and who gets to sit on the Iron Throne. Well, the book of Revelation declares that yes, there is a battle, but God sits on the throne above all thrones. And we who live in a world where persecution is higher than ever before, in a world where the church remains terribly flawed, we need this revelation once again that changes everything. And so we're going to spend the next six weeks in this book and be led uh, by Ron as he guides us through this amazing book of Revelation. So we're going to watch the first uh, introduction. Think of being given a pair of spectacles that allow you to see everything in X-ray vision. There have been a few sci-fi movies along this line, but this isn't fiction. The Bible has books and passages that contain what is called apocalyptic literature. And their basic function is to give us the eyes to see underneath and behind and below the physical reality of the world, to show us how it all spiritually works. Apocalyptic literally means unveiling. But for most Christians, apocalyptic literature of the type we find in the Bible's final book, the book of Revelation, is far from clear. Death riders, pale horses, beasts with horns, plagues and trumpets, weird numbers like 666 and 144,000. It's a language that very few seem to know how to decode. And not everyone who claims to have found the code can be trusted. But at least the persecuted can be trusted because the apocalyptic passages were written primarily for them, for believers who were about to die. And as we approach this great book of Revelation, just listen to this dialogue overheard recently in China between a well-known house church pastor and a visiting preacher from the United States. It might help us to understand and apply the great visions in this perplexing and astonishing book. The American pastor said, well, what book of the Bible is most precious to you? The Chinese pastor replied, well, probably the book of Revelation because and then the American pastor broke in and said, because your suffering makes you long for the end of the world. 
And you're strengthened by the vision of love of how it will end with Christ's victory, right? Chinese pastor smiled and he said, well, that too. But we don't just take Revelation to be a description of the way the world will end. We see it also as a description of the way the world is now. The American pastor looked a little puzzled. I'm not understanding you. Surely Revelation is the book that tells us how the world will end. Chinese pastor said, I'm telling you that it's also a description of the way the world is now. Suffering has made this clear to us in China. Clearly, prosperity has hidden this from you, where you come from. You see, we had a Caesar here in China called Mao Zedong. And he, like the Caesar of the early church period, demanded what was not only his, but God's. Like in Revelation, he used a beast to coerce us, communism, a false prophet to beguile us, false bishops. And when we resisted this idolatry with the testimony of the Lamb, we were slaughtered and jailed. So in this way, we saw that Revelation is a description of the spiritual war that always goes on in any society, including yours. The American pastor said, but it's not going on in America today. You say we have that hidden from us. What do you mean? So the Chinese pastor said, well, this conflict is obvious to us in China because you couldn't miss that Mao was setting himself up as an idol and demanding worship. So the veil was removed. We saw the world as it really is, a place where idols demand worship. But it's not obvious to those in the West because it takes a more subtle form. And then the American pastor said, perhaps it's not happening at all this way. I live in a Christian country. And the Chinese pastor said, but I tell you, there are beasts or idols in your society, just as much as in ours and even in your churches. And there are false prophets telling you that this idolatry might even be biblical and beasts are coercing you. Your beast may not be a person, but an idea. In our fellowship, we had a clever young man who lived with an American family for a while while he was studying. The couple were very generous, but he noticed something about them. They were always exhausted. Both worked incredibly hard, though they had plenty of money. Three cars, two homes, expensive club memberships, and as far as he could tell, gave only the minimum to the Lord's work. They never asked him a single question about the Chinese church. And when he left, they gave him an envelope with $20 in it. And he said, I felt very sorry for them. They thought they were free, but they were slaves. They were dropping from exhaustion because they felt they had to pursue a lifestyle in order to feel good about themselves. But they never knew that the pursuit of that life had stolen their hearts away from Christ. Do you see what I mean? Persecution is a way of forcing us to bow down to God. But to those who do not have the light of persecution, they don't even see that they're bowing down. That's why we need to listen to the persecuted church. We can give you an insight that will enable you to see the world through apocalyptic eyes and become one of the persecuted yourselves which is your destiny, because Christians are people who are called to resist idols. The American pastor thought about this and he said, hmm, if what you say is true, 
then consumerism could be a more effective killer of the faith than communism. The Chinese pastor agreed, you're right. This is what we are afraid of here. Consumerism clutters up life so much that we fail to see the world as it is, full of idols trying to steal our worship from God. We can help you, but you must pray for us also. This is how a book like Revelation works. It's not only about how the world will end, it's how the world is underneath. So the book of Revelation is there to help us see the world with apocalyptic eyes, eyes that see beneath and behind the evil and the mayhem and the suffering and the sorrow, to see a little of the world from God's perspective. Yes, of course, it is a book describing how the world will end, but it's also a book that tells us how the world is now. Like it or not, we are trapped in a place where a great grand game is being played. It's called worship wars. There are forces in the world wanting to steal our worship away from God. Sometimes they are subtle, sometimes they are brazen. Behind it all are forces of evil who are insanely jealous that humans should trust and love God. And what we call history is their attempts to stop us worshiping. The good news, of course, is that we're not left defenseless in this onslaught. We have a part to play, all right, and our prayers are vital, and God is on our side, and history is still his story. Everything is working together, building to a beautiful climax, where we will be with God in a golden city with no temple, no night, no sorrow. But in the meantime, we will learn that winning doesn't always look like winning underneath. It's the Lamb that brings us victory. It teaches us how to believe when the beast appears to be winning. It helps us to see the Lamb on the throne. So this is not a book to fall out with other Christians over. This is the book to see how the Lamb is always winning underneath the chaos, the rubble, the crying, and the fear. It is less about how the world ends and more about how the Bible ends and how we use the story of the end to make a new beginning. A very wise preacher once said, there are two types of story in the world, alpha stories and omega stories. Alpha stories are the ones we usually tell the stories of our beginnings, of our ancestors, places of birth, experiences we had growing up. They tell everyone who we are. But do we make as much of our Omega stories, which are to do with where we are going? Not stories of origins, but our destination stories. Revelation is our Omega story. And we are invited to live shaped by where we are going as by where we have come from. It has been said, once you have chosen your destination, your destination chooses you. In Revelation, we are invited to choose our destination. Jesus said in the book, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Can we take his invitation and expand our own identity? We are being pulled toward a world where we have full communion with God and neighbor, away from despair and evil, 
towards justice and peace for all people. We see the plot behind the universe. We see heaven awaiting us at the end of the universe. We trust the God who is on the throne and is bringing it all about. And once we see that throne, everything, in the most important sense, is all right. It's all under control because of the one who sits on that throne. It's going to lead to a more beautiful, permanent, and pain-free world. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The Alpha and Omega, who is leading us all to a beautiful, pain-free, glory-filled world. had the privilege of traveling to North Korea where that is so obvious. Worship wars. Huge, massive statues erected where every citizen must go and bow down and bring offerings. And we're believing for an amazing revival in North Korea. But what Ron says to us is those worship wars are going on every place, in every nation. What's pulling us away from our worship of God? What's seeking to stop us growing in our relationship with God? What lies have we been told by the enemy? Are there things that are in our lives that are seeking to cause us to come away from that vision of God on his throne? So we're going to worship in response. Um, I feel that's the best response that we can do to this word this morning, to the worship, the one who is on the throne. I'm going to ask the band to come back and to lead us. Let's pray together. I invite you to stand if you'd like to and are able.